You're listening to the Promise Church's Message of the Week. This week, we have special guest Eric Gilmore, whose main goal is to bring the church into greater intimacy with Jesus. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I uh, feel in my heart like there's something specific that God wants to do in our hearts this morning. And the means of God's transformation is His speaking. His presence satisfies you, but His Word transforms you. We need both of these as our life source because they are the totality of Him for us. His presence, His voice. The two highest priorities of life merged into one name, Jesus. I want to speak to you today about Jesus. I want to speak to you about Jesus alone. When I say Jesus alone, I'm not talking about a Jesus-only movement. I'm talking about the fullness of being able to see Him and in Him God and Him by the Spirit, the Trinity in its perfection for us is wrapped up in the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see Paul's writings in the New Testament. How many of you have been reading one of Paul's letters recently? Let me see your hand. How many of you don't really know what I'm talking about when I say Paul's letters? Let me see. Okay. So Paul wrote letters to churches, right? Specific cities with gatherings of people just like here. And when he wrote these letters, he wrote specifically to them about what's going on with them. You can know what's going on with them by what he writes to them. It's just like when you're on a plane and the person next to you starts talking to somebody else on the phone. Though you can't hear the person that's on the phone, you can draw some conclusions by what the person is saying to the person on the phone. For instance, I'm on a plane and a man says, yeah, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. No, he's, he's going to be there. Yeah. No, I'll bring, I'll bring a pie. Okay, seven? Great. I don't know what the other person said, but I can tell a couple of things. He's going to some type of party. He's going to bring a pie. And somebody that they both know is going to be there. Right? Is that easy to understand? When you read Paul's letters, you're reading one side of something that's going on with the people. So you can draw conclusions by what's written, what's going on. And in the book of Colossians, there are certain things that Paul is specifically hitting. Issues that are going on that you can identify by what he speaks to them. I'll give you just a couple of them. One, some of the people in Colossus had began to add such strange restrictions on their lives in an attempt to get closer to God. That's one of the issues. Another one of the issues was some of the people had become so spiritual. They were so supernatural that they had missed out on the living Christ. They talked about their visions and angelic visitations and all these things. But the person of Jesus Christ, Paul says, you've cut yourself off from the head. There's no direct contact with him anymore. You've replaced direct contact with Christ with your strange supernaturalia, your supernaturalness, 
your weird spiritualness. And the other case too, the restrictions that they would put on themselves to get closer to God, some of them were trying to fast themselves closer to God. And he says to them, listen, your fasting is of no value against lust of the flesh. He's trying to show them something. He's telling them that they've replaced Jesus with their efforts. Another issue that's going on with them is they became so fascinated with wisdoms. And when I say wisdoms, I mean very clever speeches, very clever, even spiritual speakings, even very clever teachings from the Bible had become so paramount amongst them. It, it took so much of some of these people's attention that Paul begins to say, guys, you're, you're failing to realize that all wisdom and all knowledge is summed up inside of Jesus. So what are you looking for, he's saying? Look at him because God has locked up all of himself inside of the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, you have all of God because all of God is in Jesus. So Paul is saying, you guys are having all of these problems, all these strange different things are starting to shine in your lives because Jesus has been eclipsed. And you think to yourself, you know, when you, when you look at the book of Colossians, you begin to say, wow, all of these problems, what in the world is the solution? I don't know if you knew this, but Paul had never been to Colossus. The gospel was preached in Colossus by a man named Epaphras. It is thought that Epaphras was born again when Paul was in Ephesus preaching. Epaphras got born again, went back to his hometown. Colossus preached the gospel. People started getting saved, healed, delivered. A church starts there. Now Epaphras, who's friends with Paul, goes to visit Paul while Paul's in prison. I can see it in my mind's eye. Paul chained up. He hasn't had a visitor in a long time, hasn't seen a face that he knows in a while. And then Epaphras comes in to visit him. I can see Paul smiling from ear to ear. He sees his friend coming close to him. And as soon as they get up, they greet, hey, man, how you doing, bro? It's been a long time since I've seen you. Paul, I hate that you're in here, but the Lord will deliver you. I know it. And then Paul looks at him, and the first thing that rises up in his heart is this, how are they? Epaphras says, well, we've got some strange things going on. Some people are into wisdoms. Some people are into strange restrictions. Some people are into some strange spirituality. Ah. I regret to inform you these things. I can just see a big smile on Paul's face. And he says, oh, I know just what to do. I'll write him a letter. <laughs> what are you going to write to them? Well, this, you think that there's so many problems, and it must be difficult to address all these problems. He goes, no, no, no. There are many problems, but there is only one solution for every single one of these problems. You want to know what, what Paul's solution was? Paul goes on a, you can read it in Colossians chapter 1, he goes on a rant 
about how glorious and how majestic Jesus actually is. He is the fullness of the invisible God. He is the one and the only Son. He's the firstborn among many brethren. All things came into being by Him. Without Him, nothing came into being. He takes Jesus and He lifts Him high. He's saying, you have all these problems here? Let me solve them. Jesus! One night I was laying on the ground with my daughter, Leah. We were looking up at the stars in the sky. <laughs> she says to me, Daddy, there's so many stars in the sky. And I said, yes, baby, there are. And she goes, where do they go in the daytime? <laughs> and I said, oh, baby, they're, they're always there. It's just that the sun is so high and so bright that you cannot see them. And when I said that, I was like, Holy smokes, that is the message of Colossians. When you lift the sun to the heights, he extinguishes all lesser lights. If you take the sun out of the heights, you begin to see all kinds of other lights. Here is the reason why so many strange things are being let in through the back door of Christianity. Jesus has come to love. What do you mean, Eric? Like, I don't under, understand specifically how this refers to me. I'm a husband. I go to work nine to five. I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm at home all the time. I'm in school right now. What does this have to do with me? I'll tell you right now. All of the issues that spring up in a person's life have their root right here. Jesus is too low. Practically, Eric, what does that mean? It means that when you're ruled by your own passions, when you're ruled by your own desires, when you're ruled by you not getting your own way, when you're ruled by competition and comparison, when you're ruled by this deep depression that is all about you, when yourself is high, Jesus can no longer be seen. And I'm telling you that the issue at hand, no matter what the issue is, it is this. Jesus is too low. He must be lifted high again. Practically, how does that look? It looks like this. When the thought comes in, when the thing rises on the inside, you respond not by fighting. You respond by worshiping and then he fights for you. Let me just tell you something. If you want to fight the devil, that's a foolish decision. He will take you every time. Jesus alone can beat him. And if you will give attention to Jesus, he will wipe everything out that comes at you from all sides. The scripture tells us that with Joshua, that they literally let the Lord go before them and he fought for them. It's a beautiful thing, this exaltation of Jesus. In my own life, I find so many things, so many things. I'll even say this sometimes to the Lord. I'll say, oh God, there are so many things, so many things. And then I'll take those so many things and I'll lay them down at his feet and say, here I am to worship you. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I worship you. And I begin to find that as my heart lifts Jesus to his proper place, that's what adoration is. By the way, when you worship the Lord, you are lifting him high. 
And when your heart begins to adore the Lord and lift Him high, all those things that were taking so much of your attention just begin to vanish away. Where are the stars in the daytime? Lift the sun high, and He will keep you clean. He will keep you whole. And you won't be, your Christian life will not be gripping a cross and gritting your teeth and doing your best to obey black and white. You'll be captivated by him and find out that you do more on accident than you ever did on purpose. You find that he begins to perform things that you, were, you all your life were unable to do. Jesus can do more in 15 seconds than you in 15 years. All he needs is his proper place of worship. The text that I want to speak to you from, and I'm not going to go very long, is from Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I'll read this to you right now. And then I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. Father, I thank you that I am nothing more than a billion needs for you. And Lord, though these are only syllables, I pray they carry the weight of the secret kisses we have shared. So I come to you, precious love of mine, because your lips drip with honey and your kisses like wine, Lord. Your eyes are so tender and your voice is kind to me. I am yours, Lord, and you are mine, because everything in you I find. Precious name. Amen. So Luke chapter 10 says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to the Lord and said, Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving all alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Are you seeing this? Now this contrast between Mary and Martha, I didn't make it. It's right here. One of them is looking at him, the other one is not. One of them is still, the other one is not. One of them is scattered, the other one is not. One is talking, the other one is not. One is gazing, the other one's complaining. I'm telling you right now that the root of most of our judgments has to do with removing our eyes from Jesus because you have to take your eyes off of Jesus to look at another person. You cannot look at him and somebody or something else. And this is the root of so many issues in our Christian lives from day to day. I've come to talk to you and lift you up and encourage you in your daily life. Whether you are in middle school, high school, you're in college, you're a grandpa, a grandma, a mother, a father, a friend of just a bunch of people. I've come to talk to you specifically about your life. And this is what I feel the Lord is saying. 
that if he doesn't have all of your gaze and all of your attention, you are dealing with a whole bunch of unnecessary things. Jesus says this. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Here's the origin of worry. Somebody once told me, worry is the seed of atheism. Eric, I don't understand what that means. Atheism means I do not believe in I do not believe in God. Worry is the seed of atheism. It questions whether or not he's actually able, and then it moves into questioning whether or not he actually is. Worry is the seed of atheism. And it comes from taking your eyes off of Jesus. Jesus says, and you are bothered. Oh boy, this is a good one. Because so often we get so flustered And we get so bothered from day to day in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of our dealings with other people, in the midst of the inconveniences of life, in the midst of the agitations of life. We get so bothered, don't we? Jesus is showing you where it comes from. Your eyes have been removed from him to the thing. You can use being bothered as like a barometer to find out where your attention actually is. So that your heart can completely be captivated by him so much so that you look upon the agitations and the inconveniences as doorways to experience more of him. Because this is happening right now, I need you. This is the beauty of a merry life, a life that lives underneath him. Jesus calls this the one thing necessary. Did you see these words? The one thing necessary. This is the only necessity for life. Is to give him all of your attention. Another thing here that he says, which is incredible to me, is it's eternal. It shall not be taken away from her. It lives forever. Every time you take time to spend time with God, the course of your life changes. Eric, could it actually be that drastic? Absolutely. Do you want to know why? Because if you've ever touched the sweetness of his presence, you know how in an instant he changes everything about you. It's in that moment where nothing has changed in a sense, but everything is different. Whoa. You're beginning to worship the Lord all alone, and all of a sudden a switch takes place, and a flood goes into your being, and now you see things differently. You feel differently about certain things. Your heart is now tender and soft, and you feel as if you actually love people. It's because God, who is love himself, begins to rush right into your heart. But this doesn't happen into the, to the heart that is unwilling to go low. This is what it is to look at Jesus. Andrew Murray said, you're never more humble than when you adore Jesus. And the reality of it is, is this, just like water flows in quickly to fill the bottom of any container that you pour it into, so the Holy Spirit rushes in to fill all those who are low. And if you don't go low, then there's no filling. The reason why so many are dry is because they're too high. Here's the reason why so many people have so many unnecessary, when I say so many people, I mean so many of us Christians have such a hard time 
with experiencing the wonders of the new covenant and the reality of joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passes all understanding. You know, there's a story of a little boy. He gets to a candy shop, and when he gets to the candy shop, he has his hands on the window to the candy shop, staring at all of his favorite goodies. I love Snickers. I love Kit Kats. He wants them. The manager of the store comes out. He sees the boy admiring the candy, and he says, Son, take whatever you want. And the boy's looking at the candy, looks at the man. He looks at the candy, and he goes, I can't. The man says, Why not? The kid says, There's a thick pane of glass between me and the candy. The point of the matter is, is this, many Christians look at the Bible and they see these things that they want so bad, joy unspeakable and full of glory and peace that passes all understanding and victory over sin and they stare at them through the window, but there is a thick plane of, plate of pride between them and obtaining those things. And they can, they can see them, they can recognize what they are, but to actually obtain them and enjoy them, ooh, it's few and far between. Do you want to know why? Because you can really tell who wants God to rule their lives by who gives him his throne every day. Without my heart laid at your feet, it always tries to take your seat. I say to the Lord sometimes in the morning, I'll get quiet before God. No matter how much time I have, I will get before God and my heart will say something like this. In this silence, I sit still and stay, for there will be much noise today. In the quiet here, I adore you. Before I ever set my hands to do, in the stillness, quiet, all alone, I prepare my heart to be your throne. This is the secret of the Christian joy. The secret of the Christian happiness. The secret to the Christian peace is Jesus having his proper place. When you lift him high, he will extinguish all the other lights. I want you to notice a couple of things here. It says that Martha is distracted. Distraction robs your attraction to God. You have to see that all of the things that are crowding you and trying to steal your attention are enemies attacking your attraction to God. Some of you go into some seasons of life where you have no desire for God. You want to know where it came from? You let a little fox in, and it began to spoil the vine. What is a little fox? Listen, you name them, because you know what's going on up here. Maybe it's a lustful thought that you just followed a little too long. Maybe it's not a lustful thought that we took. Well, normally, when you say lust, people think sexual. Maybe it's a lustful thought like, I want more. Did you know that Paul talks about covetousness? and he puts it next to idolatry, to desire some more is so often idolatry. Jesus is just not enough, is he? I need this, and then I'll be happy. Oh, guys, these don't seem like they're very important, but these are the issues. These are the things of everyday life, and you're scrolling through Instagram, and you see that person with their brand new this, that, the other, or how this person is being used, and all this, and then you get all this blood boil on the inside, and the reality of it is, is Jesus is nowhere to be found in your attention. And all the while, he wants to give himself to you as unlimited peace 
an unlimited joy that literally causes you to live on the mountaintop even in the midst of the valley. People say to me sometimes, you know, Eric, Christianity is not sunshine and rainbows. I say, well, Jesus is. <laughs> you give him all of your attention, and I'm telling you right here and right now, your circumstances, your situations become absolutely irrelevant. Sometimes Jesus doesn't remove the rain. It still rains, but he removes you out from underneath its influence. And I'm telling you right now, this is what Jesus is saying to many people here. Listen to this. It says that she's distracted with all of her preparations. Do you see the origin of these things? Herself. <laughs> I remember Todd said one time, Martha was making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. <laughs> See, Mary's listening to him because she is giving him his proper place. She's beneath him. She's gazing. She's taken with him. But Martha cannot hear Jesus for the clanking of the pots and the pans. The next thing it says here is, listen to this. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Let me just ask you a quick question. Who is the most caring individual to ever step foot upon this planet? Is it, net, is it not God who became a man to die for rebellious, sinful mockers? Is it, okay, do we get this clear? Does everybody understand Jesus is the most caring? Why am I saying that? Because she just asked the most caring one, do you care? Your vision and view of God is askew when you don't give him his proper place. If your eyes are not set upon Jesus, this is the origin of a lot of false doctrines. This is where it all comes from. It's because the eyes were moved from him and now they're on Mary. You understand what I mean? And then she begins to, Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving all alone? This is where loneliness comes from. <laughs> this is where elitism comes from. We're the only ones doing it. I've come into elitism so much, guys. I've seen it so much. What do you mean by elitism? Elitism is when people are so proud of their own spirituality that they feel like nobody else is as good as them. This is one of the downfalls of being anointed. People think about the oil on them more than the hands that rubbed it upon them. The next thing it says is, Lord, tell her to help me. Now look at what she's doing. She's now instructing God. <laughs> Tell her to help me. This is what most people's intercession looks like. Lord, do something with my husband. And he's saying, don't look at him, look at me. Lord, if you don't do something with my wife, and then he's saying, no, 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 they have too much of your attention. Give your attention to me. I'll show you what we need to do when we need to do it. A lot of times, this is how people live their lives. They live trying to instruct God, and that comes from not looking directly at God. Martha, Martha. You are worried and bothered about so many things. I hope that that itself, there's so much there. I hope that that itself will encourage you to lift Jesus to his proper place so that he can extinguish all the other lights. I'll say it in rhyme form so you remember it. As a matter of fact, say this with me. Say, I will lift Jesus to the heights so he can extinguish all lesser lights. This is what I feel God is saying to you guys today. And I don't know where you are in your life. 
But I know it applies to you because Jesus applies to everything. I told you I came here to preach Jesus. And all I want to do is lift him so high. I want to put him so up. I want to magnify him so big so that you will see that everything that's going on in your life is absolutely unworthy of attention. I pray that what God would do today in each one of us is this. We would refuse to give the attention that he deserves to things far inferior to him. Now I'm going to end with this story, okay? When I was uh, in middle school, my mom bought me the best white Michael Jordan shirt I had ever seen. I was a Michael Jordan freak. Does anybody remember Michael Jordan, the basketball player? Okay. LeBron James got nothing on him. I'm just... I'm already causing problems. Agitated? Are you agitated? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. So I would walk down the hallways, wanted everybody to see my Jordan shirt. Just, you see my Jordan shirt? Lunchtime came and I was just a little careless with my spaghetti. And I spilled spaghetti all down the front of it. I ran immediately to the bathroom. And you, you know what I did. Probably something you would have done in middle school. I took off the shirt and I put water on it. And I scrubbed it and I scrubbed it. It didn't work. As a matter of fact, you know what happened. It just got worse. <laughs> so I figured, you know what, I'll just get a little soap. Soap clean stuff. So now I got soap and I scrub the stain with all my might. Trying to scrub it up. Now... Not only does it look worse, it feels worse. It's just, it's terrible. The whole thing is just a disaster. And I return back to the hallways, and I'm no longer wanting everybody to see my Jordan shirt. I'm actually hiding my stain. And I'm seeing, yeah, I'm good over here. I'm good. Just trying to hide my stain from everybody that would have seen it. And as soon as I got home, my mom looked at me, and she goes, oh, Eric, how was your day? And I said, oh, Mom, it was terrible. You know the, the new Jordan shirt you got me? Look, I ruined it. She says to me, Eric, give me the shirt. And I said, oh, mom, you don't understand. I already tried to get the stains out. She goes, Eric, give me the shirt. I said, mom, I scrubbed with soap. She looked at me and said, Eric, give me the shirt. So I surrendered the stained shirt into my mother's hands. And she performed a miracle that only mothers really know how it's done. She brought that shirt back to me white as snow. My friends, I just preached the gospel to you. What do you mean? How? There's people in this room, you've been a little careless with your mind. You've been a little careless in your heart. You've been a careless with the things you've let into your eyes, what you've done with your hands, what you've said with your mouth. The intentions and motives, you've been a little careless. And there's a stain there. And you may have tried many times to get that thing out with your own efforts. You, you, you can't scrub it out. It's got to be surrendered clean. You may have been walking around hiding it because you don't want anybody to see it. Listen, you can't cover up sin. You've got to get it washed clean. The only way to get that stain away is to take that stained heart in life 
and hand it to Jesus. Say, here's my life. Take it. You know what he will do? He will wash it white as snow. It will be as if it has never happened. He will throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. You will be clean. David says, wash me and I will be clean. Right now, if you're in this room and you know that there's something that you've been careless with and you need Jesus to clean you, I want you to make your way down here. Listen closely to what I'm saying right now. Some of you may say, some of you may say, how, how do I know if, if the blood of Jesus has touched my life and cleaned me? I'm going to give you an indicator of how you can know if the blood of Jesus has washed your life. The blood of Jesus does not just take away the stain of sin. It breaks the power of sin. And if the power of sin is not broken in your life, you do not have the blood of Jesus on your life. The blood of Jesus is unable to touch sin and not break its power. So maybe you have nominally, mentally accepted the forgiveness of your sins, but you have not been able to find the victory over their power then I, I offer to you today the real blood of Jesus that can set you free. But what I want to do right now is I want everybody just to look to the person to your left and your right, and I want you to just ask them, do you need Jesus to wash you? And if they say yes, I want you to help them come down here. Just look at them and say, do you need Jesus to wash you? Come. Then bring them down, bring them down. There's something about open confession. What do you mean by open confession? I mean, when you... When you make a step of faith saying, I need to be clean, the Lord responds. I don't mean to pull and pry, but I, in my heart I feel like I need to do this. The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man. If you feel the pulling of the Holy Spirit on you, I, I plead with you to respond. There's no guarantee it will come back. That's number one. Number two, the Bible says now is the day. Now is the time of salvation. What does that mean? When you hear this wonderful, great news that God wants to take your sins from you, that's the day to do it. The last thing I'll say is this. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. <laughs> so if the Lord is knocking on your heart, I plead with you, come. He will wash you. He will break the power of sin. I'm just going to sit here just for a minute so everybody at the altar can just be honest with the Lord. If you're down here, it's time. Just be honest. Just open it up and say, I, you know, Lord, you know me. You know my issues, Lord. Just say, take it, Lord. I give it to you. Just take this time. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Lord, take it all. You know this. You know that. I give it all to you. 
Just everybody at this altar, just say this right now. Say, Jesus, I receive your blood. Break the power of sin. I give you my life. I take authority right now over all kinds of lusts and addictions right now. I break your power. Loose them. Let them go now. I break the power of depression right now. I break your power. Loose them. Let them go right now. The chains, the constant chains to the past, I break those chains now in the mighty name of Jesus. Loose them. Satan, I come against every pattern of thinking you've planted in the minds of different people. I break your power now. I pull it out right now in Jesus' name. Blood of Jesus come upon you, set you free, make you new. Now, 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 now. Never again, it's, you have victory in Jesus' name. Those of you at the altar, just, just lift your hands to the Lord right where you are. Just lift your hands. I want you just to say this with me. Say, God, I need the Holy Ghost fresh in my life. So fill me. I remove every wall. I remove everything out of the way. And I ask you right now to fill me with the Holy Spirit. 